God's mercy, peace, and grace be upon you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ on this second Sunday of the Epiphany. Amen. It's the year 1059 B.C., and you're a 12-year-old boy living in the land of Israel. But you're not just any preteen boy. You're Samuel. Your mother was Hannah, who for a long time couldn't have any children, but she prayed and prayed to God that she would have a son. And if she did, she promised the Lord that she would never cut the boy's hair and donate him into the care of the high priest in the tabernacle so the boy could know and serve God all his life. These are the days before the first temple was built on the top of Mount Moriah in what would eventually be Jerusalem, the capital city. The tabernacle is still being used in your time, that same portable temple that was constructed and used 200 years before during the time of Moses. You live with Eli, the priest, but he has his own two sons in their early 20s, and they're a couple of good-for-nothings. They are mean to you, and they steal the sacrifices from the tabernacle. They pick out the best meat for themselves from the offerings. Not only that, these two reprobate sons of Eli are sleeping with the women attendants who work at the tabernacle entrance gate. Their father, Eli, has pleaded with them to stop their scandalous behavior, but they won't listen. You see, you and Eli and his two sons may be servants of the Lord in his tent of worship, but there isn't much faith in God going around in this priestly family. Your two stepbrothers don't believe in Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, creator of the universe, God of Jacob and Isaac and all the forefathers of Israel. Eli isn't much better. He's just going through the motions as high priest, doing the job he was taught to do by his predecessors. This is also a time of relative calm and quiet in Israel. For now, anyways, it won't last long. War will break out soon with the Philistines. But the people haven't been hearing from God in a long while. And there haven't been prophets bringing any word either. It's as if God has become silent. In the meantime, you're doing what you're what you've been taught to do, helping Eli attend to the chores of being high priest, filling the lampstands with oil and tending to the bread on the altar and running here, running there, doing this and that. At the end of one long day, you're hot and tired. So you lay down for an early evening nap and you begin to drift off into sleep. Samuel, Samuel, you hear a voice calling. You immediately jump up and run to Eli. But Eli is taking a siesta too. You called me, you say to him, and wake him up. I didn't call you. Go back to sleep, he says. So you do. You hear the voice again call your name, and you run back to Eli. I didn't call you, he says, with more irritation than the first time. The voice calls your name a third time, and again, you run to Eli, because who else could it be, after all? You're the only two in the tabernacle. 
But Eli realizes what's going on now. His faith and dedication to God may have become dull over the years, but he still has some spiritual intuition. Go back and lie down, he tells you. And the next time you hear the voice, say, Speak, Lord, your servant hears. Though you do as he says. You hear the voice again calling your name, and you say, Speak, Lord, your servant listens. That's when things begin to happen. And you realize that you were given to serve the Lord for his people. God stands before you. No description available. But he stands before you and says to you, I'm going to do something in Israel that will make the ears of every person shudder. I'm going to condemn Eli and his family for their sin against me. You're going to tell Eli for me that his sons have brought this on themselves and he wouldn't do anything about it. No sacrifice is going to wipe out their guilt. <laughs> that is all. <laughs> After this troubling message, you lay there until the morning. You haven't slept a wink because of this foreboding message you have to give Eli as soon as he gets out of bed. When he does, he remembers what happens the day before and eagerly calls you to him to find out what it was that God said to you. The thing is, you don't want to tell him. The message is too severe. Don't keep it from me, he says. Tell me, or may God punish you. So, you tell him. His reaction? Sighing resignation. This was your first close encounter with the Lord of creation. And there will be more as you grow into a man and continue serving him and all Israel who will know your name. But at 12 years old, the first thing you needed to learn was to say, Lord, speak, for your servant hears. I have heard, and maybe you have too, that there are no true atheists. Every person on earth has a God whom they turn to whenever they feel they need. Every culture has a worldview, a belief system of some sorts, because humanity seeks to understand a higher authority or power which must exist, even if that higher authority is themselves. You know, some people believe there's no higher power or authority than myself or oneself. You know, that's, uh, that's humanism. The God in the Hebrew and Christian scriptures, however, is known only in the revealing of himself in those scriptures. And this was at the core of the problem with Israel at the time Samuel was a teeny bopper. Generations before Samuel, the people of Israel had relied on prophets and visions to hear what God had to say to them, to get to get updates from the Lord, right? But then things got quiet. The spoken word had become rare, so it was no surprise that Samuel, even as young as he was, didn't recognize the voice of God and three times mistook it for Eli's voice. Samuel, as it says in the scriptures, did not know the Lord yet, and his word had not been revealed to him. What young Samuel needed 
is what all people need today. People in every age need to know the Lord Jesus Christ, but we may wonder today if God speaks and is near to us. There are so many problems in the world and in our lives and in our friends' lives and our families' lives, it seems God is silent. But this has always been the case because of sin in the world. Can you imagine what Christians must have been thinking when war broke out in Europe in 1939? When Christian values were intentionally erased in schools, government, and society in Germany under the National Socialist Party, priests and pastors tried to speak into the situation, but when they did, they were immediately arrested and dragged into concentration camps where they died from hard labor and neglect. Talk about a silent God, huh? I mean, what, what were Christians thinking then? That time still boggles the mind as to the scope of human suffering and death. But through that all, and through everything that's going on now, God still speaks. He really does. To know his voice, we must go where it is that he speaks. Consider this familiar passage from Hebrews. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The Bible is where we learn to recognize God's voice. When I was 12 years old, I didn't know God. Nevertheless, his word was there for me. I had access to it in a thousand places I could have gotten it. Some of you heard the voice of God through his word before you were 12. You know, you've had it your whole life. Some hear it later in life and receive faith to follow the voice of Jesus and learn from him. Regardless of age, when we hear his voice, we inwardly digest the precious voice of our shepherd. That's the hope anyway. We, we know there are some who hear it and nothing happens inwardly. They know who they are. The prophets of Israel bore, wit bore witness to this same message. From the time of the fall in Eden through the time John was baptizing people in the Jordan, every word and every act of God in the life of the people Israel prepared the way for Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. When the, once promised, when the one promised long ago was born, he came to be the final sacrifice for all people, to save them from sin death, and hell. The world needs this message as it continues its downward trajectory of treating people badly and murder, among many other moral violations too numerous to mention. Christ alone brings forgiveness and saving grace by taking all sin onto himself, shedding his blood, dying on the cross, buried in a tomb, and walking out of it. This is the good news for which Samuel and all the prophets longed for and has been so richly poured out onto us and into us. In baptism, your own resurrection is guaranteed. In the Lord's Supper, you eat and drink the food of immortality, Christ's very own body and blood. In the absolution, after you confess your sins, you hear the voice of God saying, you are forgiven.
This is a treasure in your heart which need not be locked away for for your own benefit. You can give it to others. You speak what you have heard the Lord say through his prophets, apostles, and disciples of his church. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Young Samuel, on that day he lay there daydreaming, drifting off into sleep like so many of us did at his age, and still do, (laughs) heard the voice calling him and learned to say, Speak, Lord, for your servant listens or hears. God still teaches you and me who he is, how he speaks, and what we are in turn to say. Our days may be dark as the days of Samuel, but just as in those days, so today and into tomorrow, that hope and peace from God is here as light in the dark. So live in this light all your days. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.